Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. Church Podcast. talking about the Christmas, the ghost of Christmas future, and man, what a stud he is. Great job. Really great, great, great job. This is a scene from the book, uh, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Some of you, maybe you've seen the movie, um, the book that was made into a movie. There are so many different uh, uh, versions of it, but uh, this is one of the most powerful moments of the whole story we catch up with Scrooge, and he's looking and talking with the ghost of Christmas future, and he's looking at his tombstone with his name on it, and he says this, this phrase. He says, I'm not the man I once was. I'm not the man I once, meaning I have changed. And that is the story of the gospel. That is the story of Jesus coming to earth, is that when Jesus came He brought change. He changed everything. That's why Herod wanted to hunt down the Messiah and kill him because even Herod, the government official, knew that if Jesus, if the Messiah came, it would change the way politics looked. It would change the way his life looked. And when Jesus came, he didn't just change politics. He changed the whole way the religious system operated and worked. Now, all of a sudden, those of us that were outsiders were included. It it, it changed the the, the mindset of people. It changed countries. It changed everything. And last week, we talked a little bit about this. We talked about, you know, the ghost of Christmas past of not being who you were. Just because you were doesn't mean you have to still be not allowing your past to dictate your life present. And I want to piggyback up on that. We're going to kind of just jump in right where we left off last week and talk about the power of change. Because that's the goal, right? The power, the, 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 the goal of us following Jesus Christ is that our lives would look different. Our lives would be different and it would be changed. I remember when Casey and I got married and um, we, we, before we got married, I, um, graduated college, and I had the responsibility, along with Casey, 
to find our first apartment, right? And um, I made a whopping $23,000 a year before taxes, and I was considered self-employed, which meant I didn't make a whole lot of money, right? Um, and so we found an apartment. We, li- we were in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, so you can only imagine trying to find an apartment in the Dallas-Fort Worth area on a very small income. Um, but we found a place in Louisville, Texas called Fox Run, um, and uh, Fox Hollow, actually, on Fox Run Avenue. That's why it's confusing. And so we found this one-bedroom apartment, and I thought, hey, you know what? This isn't so bad. And um, after I moved in and after Casey came in, I was made a lot more aware of our surroundings because every time we would come in about twice a week, the police were in our apartment complex responding to a, a call. And I was like, man, what a safe neighborhood we live in. The cops respond and they're, you know, really involved. This is a great situation. Look, Case, you know, we got to, you know, the police are, are around here on a consistent basis. That should make you feel safe. Um, the people above our apartment, it was a one-bedroom apartment, one bathroom, one room. I mean, it was just, it was tiny. And the people above us, they cook seaweed all the time. And so their, the stink from their apartment came into our apartment, right? Um, and so our, our, our clothes, everything smelled funky at all times. It smelled like seaweed. Um, and I didn't realize it because when you're a bachelor, you don't cook, right? Until we got married and Casey started cooking, and she's a great cook, um, that we had ant problems all the time, Right? And so we're, we're looking at this situation. What I thought wasn't all that bad because it's our first apartment. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's our first apartment. This is, this is phenomenal, right? Um, I, I realized, hey, this is, this is pretty shady, right? <laughs> like, this is probably a pretty shady place that we live in. And about three years ago, Casey and I were able to build um, a home for the first time. It will be the first time I build and the last time I build. Um, it was a great, our, our builder was awesome. That wasn't it. The, the problem isn't the building. The problem is moving. I'm pretty sure hell is going to be making you move every day. That's what hell <laughs> is going to consist of. You have to box up and you just, that's, that's really, you know, like hell. Um, and so, uh, but but we, we, we moved, and when we, when we built the house, we built it with, like, this is where we're going to retire. You're going to have to drag my dead body out of this house, right? Um, and so, um, but if you were to come to our house, man, it's a beautiful setting. It's perfect for us. You would be like, how did you get to this place? And, and I can tell you, it was a process because it all started at Fox Hollow, in Louisville, Texas. And then it started when we moved into our first house that was about 900 square feet in, in Wichita Falls, Texas. It had three bedrooms, two living rooms, and it was 900 square feet. Every room was about this big. Um, you just you just were like, excuse me, I'm going to go sit on the couch right now, right? I mean, and it was, it was a dumpy little house, but my father-in-law knows how to kind of make something attractive that's really ugly. Somebody needs to work on this. Um, but that's what we would go buy houses, flip houses, buy houses, flip houses, buy houses, flip houses. And I think in about 10 years, we moved nine times was the count. Um, and so when we moved into this house, it was been a process of us making money from all these houses we flipped and, and, and really stepping into what we can do now. Here's the deal. Um, I would never willingly, and I can speak for my wife, I would never willingly say, hey, Casey, you know what we ought to do? We ought to just sell this house and move back to the one-bedroom apartment in Fox, Fox Hollow down in Louisville, Texas. How fun would that be? Let's do it. It's kind of like a retirement you know, village, you know? Um, 
neither one of us would do it. And, and here's the deal. If you saw that, you would be like, no, no don't, don't do it. You're moving backwards. That's not the goal, Justin. You know, like, that's not the way that you should want to operate in your life. However, just like me and Casey doing something like that is exactly the way some of us are living our life spiritually. God has taken us and he's brought change and he's brought change and he's brought change and he's improved and he's improved. But some of us in the midst of the process of improving, we've gone back to the apartment. And in fact, Romans chapter 6 out of the message, it says this. It says, so what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving. I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. We went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind, and we came up out of the water. We entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. And let me go back to the phrase, or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? Some of us have gone back to the apartment, spiritually speaking. And here's a crazy thing. <clears throat> Most of us in this place, we, we, we had an encounter, we had an experience with Jesus Christ. And he came in and he took our life that was, man, guilt-ridden, shame-ridden. Some of us, it was hard to come to church. And maybe that's you today, man. It's just hard for you to even sit here and you're like, oh, I feel so guilty. But here's the great thing is that we exchange that guilt and that shame and that fear and all the judgment that we felt for forgiveness and for a change and for grace and for love. And all of a sudden, what, what felt so bad feels so good. And our life is full of potential and full of calling and full of purpose. And all of a sudden, your relationship with God isn't you just praying when you're in trouble, but you look forward to praying. You don't just read the Bible on Easter Sunday and Christmas Sunday, but you actually want to be in the Word of God and you want to come to church. And there's this thing that has happened. However, here's the problem problem. For a lot of us, there's this change and there's this process that's happening and we're going and we're going and we're going. And then we hit something. And it may be that, that the emotions aren't there. It may be that the feelings aren't there. But for a lot of us, especially in the American church, we start going backwards, right? We, we move back in essence to the apartment and we start excusing habits we start excusing things and we want to excuse it away instead of change through it. And for a lot of us, that's where we are. And, and, and we're at this place where we can't declare, as Scrooge said, I'm not the man that I once was because we are becoming what we used to be. And that can't be. So how do we come to this place where there's true change this still is occurring because, because one of the big things for me, one of the big things for this church is this, is that growing equals changing. Is that if we're truly growing in Christ, we're still changing in, in and throughout our life. Is that there's no point in place where I'm still not becoming more like him and less of me. In fact, John the Baptist said this, if I'm really going to follow him, he must increase and I must decrease. And that's a daily process and a, di a daily thing. But here's the problem is a lot of us, we are excusing our way backwards and we're stepping in back into an old life and we're stepping back into an old habit and we're excusing it 
instead of allowing God to change it. So how do you and I change? The first thing I would tell you is this, is that you can't cheat the change. Don't cheat the change. All right, I think most of us understand what I'm saying when I say that. Don't cheat the process of change. In April 21st, 1980, if you, if you were alive on this date, I got news for you. You're getting old. You may not quite be there. Hey, I'm there, right? You're not like, I'm not calling you old. I'm saying we are old. So now I can say it, right? April 21st, 1980, a woman named Rosie Ruiz won the Boston Marathon at the time of two hours, 31 minutes, and 56 seconds. Um, if you know nothing about running, like I still want to get the marathon sticker that says 0.0 on my window, right? Like that's my, that's my type of race. Um, but if you don't know anything about running, she was flying. I mean, she's like Forrest Gump fast. She's just going, right? Um, and, 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 and here's a problem is she runs across the tape. They declare her the winner. The problem with Rosie Ruiz was that Rosie didn't run the whole race, in fact, Rosie started the race one mile from the finish line. Two hours, 31 seconds, two hours, 31 minutes and 56 seconds, it took her to run a mile, right? Like, she cheated her way there. And here's the deal, is that when she got caught, when they discovered it, she still wouldn't admit to it. In fact, they found out that uh, uh, the year before she had run the New York Marathon. And in the New York Marathon, she had cheated before too. She said she was injured. She went to the injury tent, got up, got out of the injury tent, and went to the subway and took a subway to the finish line and got out and finished. I'm not making this up. Rosie Ruiz, right, cheated the process. She didn't run. Because I don't I, I Running a marathon, it takes training. It takes discipline. It takes strength. I mean, it is a whole process that you have to go through. And here's what I would say. Some of us are trying to pull a Rosie Ruiz when it comes to the process of change. Change? Man, change, change is, is a process. It's something that you have to go through. And here's what I would tell you. Contrary to popular belief, change isn't easy. Right? Change. change. I'm not talking about the transformation of when you meet Jesus Christ, but I'm talking about, man, living the holy and righteous life that he is calling you and me to, the sanctification that he's trying to take us through. And here's, here's what you and I have to know is that change in itself isn't real easy. In fact, it's hard. It's hard to change. It's hard to get past addictions. It's hard to get past habits. It's hard to step into something new and to allow God to take you through the process. But that's the problem, is that we are a culture that doesn't like processes. We like an instantaneous payoff. And there is the instantaneous payoff of knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but then there's the process of following him. I say it all the time. It's easy to meet Jesus, but it takes effort to follow him. And some of us in the process of following him, we have stopped the change and we've gone back to the apartment of our spiritual life. And we want to excuse it away but really, we're cheating the change. We're just pulling a Rosie Ruiz. 
And many of us here, the, the crazy thing is for many of us here, we know we need, not, not, not even want, we know we need to change. We know our marriage, we can't, we can't go on like this anymore. I don't like you, you don't like me, you make me mad just by looking at you, you can't continue this. You, you know there's got to be change. Some of us, we know there's got to be change with the relationship we have with our kids or that we have with our parents. We, we know there's got to be change with it. We, we know we, we, we can't keep this habit. We can't keep this addiction in our life. We, we know there's got to be change, but we pull a rosy ruiz and we want to cheat the change because we just want it to be easy instead of hard. Some of you, it's not that you just know you need to change. And the only way change is going to happen is if you don't cheat it. But you allow the hard work of growing equals changing to occur. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 through 22. It says, and when people escape from their wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than they were before. Here, here's, here's what I would say on that. Here's what I think the Apostle Paul, Peter is saying. He's saying the reason it's so much you're, you're worse off is because you know what you're missing and you're excusing your way back into sin. You're, you're educated to know there's better, but you're also educated to know to make it not that big of a deal and to excuse your way back to the apartment. And Peter's saying this, no, 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 this is a big deal. You're worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They proved the truth of this proverb, a dog returns to its vomit, and another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. St. Peter's saying this, don't go back to the mud. Don't go back to the apartment. Don't go back to the vomit. Don't go back. Be able to come to this place where Scrooge says, and he's looking at what his life has accustomed and what the ghost of Christmas past and the ghost of Christmas present and the ghost of Christmas future have all shown them, and there's a change. And he makes this declaration. He says, I am not the man I once was. Can you and I still say the same thing? that I am not the man I once was, that I'm not the woman that I once was, or is the reality of your life you've gone back to what you were before? Don't cheat the change, but allow the process of change to occur. How do we not cheat the change? The first way is this. You give yourself permission to change. You give yourself permission to change right some of us we think well this is just who I am that's not the truth that's just who you've settled and, and conditioned yourself to be give yourself permission to well too many people know what I've done who cares well, well I, I am at this age and I'm at this stage and it's too late for me to change no no it's not it's not too here's what I have noticed about all of us and our culture is the reality and the truth is we're scared of change right we're scared of change don't believe me wait till next year when it starts political time and, and there's going to be like oh if we get a new president man we're going to be a communist regime right 
Um, if, I'm just saying, we, we, there's, there's fear of change. One, one thing that Casey and I are dealing with right now, it's so minor, but um, it's still true, is we enjoy having cable and having a DVR, right? And we are getting ready to cancel our cable. It's a big step. I'm just letting you know from your pastor, it's a big deal. And we're getting ready. We've got Netflix, but we're getting ready to go into live stream TV like YouTube TV. And we know that it records TV, we know, but it's different. We gotta learn to work with a new system and an operating system. And here's the deal, when you grow used to your old operating system, it's really hard for you to change operating systems in your life. And fear will keep you, well, this is the way that I've operated and this is what I'm used to. And this is the way I'm used to operating my life because I've grown used to this operating system. But when you change and when you allow yourself to change, you understand there's a new operating system in the way that you've got to conduct and operate your life. And it's different, but it's even better. The Bible says this in Luke chapter 19, verse 5 through 8, one of my favorite stories talks about when Jesus came to the place, he looked to him and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today I must stay at your house. Some of you are like Zacchaeus, the, the wee little man and the wee little man that he was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for a savior he could see, right? You know, remember that guy, right? Um, that's what Jesus is talking about. That's what, where we're at. Verse six says, and he hurried and came down and received him, talking about Zacchaeus received Jesus gladly. And I love this, this, this verse. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Here's what I love about this passage of Scripture. It's got one of my favorite verses in it. It says, for the Son of Man came to find lost people and save them, right? That's his whole purpose. That's what we celebrate his birth about, that he came to find a lost mankind and save them and redeem them. However, in the midst of Zacchaeus changing, right, there's change that occurs. There's the group of they that grumble about who Zacchaeus was. Well, he's one of those. Well, do you know who Zacchaeus was before he got up into his wee little tree because he's a tiny little man and you went into his house and he put on his Sunday best? Do you know who Zac was? Because I know him as Zac, not his proper name, Zacchaeus, right? Like that's his Sunday name. Zacchaeus may be his Sunday name, but I know his weekday Friday night name named Zac, right? And there are grumbles that are happening. And there are always going to be grumblers of you changing. There's always going to be people saying, oh, but I know who they were before they came to church. I know what they were doing this past weekend. I know what they were like in their first marriage. I know what was happening before they said they were free from their addiction. I know, I know. And hear me, you can listen to the grumples and the people and the days that are grumbling against you and it's gonna be a lot harder for you to change or you can listen to the voice of Jesus Christ saying, come on, let's change, step into your new life because I've got something better for you, whose voice you are listening to often will determine the destiny of your life. 
And some of you, you have been listening to the grumbles for far too long. And it's people that should be for you, but sometimes the people that know us best grumble the most. And stop listening to the grumbles of your past and step in and be the changed person that Jesus wants you to be. Give yourself permission to be different. Well, you're different. Well, you're not like you used to be. Exactly. That's the goal is that you're not who you were last year and you're not who you were last month. But the There's change that is occurring in your life, and it's not easy, but can I tell you, it is always, always worth it. But here's the thing about change. Change, and hear me, change is embraced and effective when it's consistent and reliable instead of sporadic and emotional. Hear me, because it's really, really good. Change is embraced and effective when it's consistent and reliable. When the Holy Spirit is leading your life, he leads you consistently. Instead of you leading it out of emotion and being sporadic about your change. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Give yourself permission to change and don't cheat the change. The last thing is this. Understand change is an all-the-time thing, not a one-time event. Change is an all-the-time thing, not a one-time event. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, Being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. When we experience Jesus as our Lord and Savior, there's a good work that has been started, right? But that's not where it stops. And this verse is saying, He that began a good work, which also means to carry on, to bring to an end, to, co- to accomplish, to perfect, that he will perfect, he will bring it to an end, he will comp- accomplish what he started in you through Christ Jesus. And some of us, the reality is, we stopped at salvation when God's saying, hey, where'd you go? Where, where'd you go? Let, let's, let's keep moving on this thing, because there's way bigger and better things for you to live. When we were building these playgrounds in uh, Kenya, we had a rock bar, um, and this is actually mine, believe it or not. I actually have tools every once in a while. Um, has a little bit of dirt on it, so shut up, Jeff. Um, but when we were there, the first playground that you guys saw, and this was a great time for us to put this up, um, but the first playground you saw is a big playground. Um, and when we went to that playground, there were humongous rocks everywhere. I mean, we, we couldn't use the auger. There were ginormous rocks all over the place. And I, I, I really, you can ask the other guys, I'm not exaggerating on this point. It was like you would dig and you would get down there and you were like, boom, and you would hit rock and you'd get that rock up and you'd dig a little bit more and you're like, okay, we're past it. And boom, you'd hit rock and like get it out and you'd go a little bit more and boom, you'd hit it. And, and I was like, oh dear. I would look at Jeff Wagner and Jeff we would have been lost without Jeff Wagner going. Um, Jeff, this is what he does. He builds playgrounds. That's what his company does. Um, they built the playgrounds over at Gathering Place. So I never questioned Jeff. I didn't, like, when we started, I went like, Jeff, I'm not so sure about that. Um, he knows what he's doing. And he, I was like, Jeff, how, how far do we have to get this hole down? He's like, 20 inches. Um, and the other day, um, when I got back, our staff was like, so tell me about the playgrounds. I was like, bro, the first playground was brutal. We had to dig the holes 20 feet deep. And they go, what? And I go, 20 feet deep. And they're like, 20 feet deep? And I'm like, 20 feet deep. It was grueling. 
It was impossible. And they're like, how big were the poles? I'm like, massive. They were huge. <laughs> how much cement? Tons of cement. I mean, we had bags everywhere. And they're like, and they're like 20 feet. I'm like, 20 inches. I'm so sorry. Um, there's 20. This is why people don't let me build things. But, but we got to 18 inches, right? And we had, we had like, like lines on the shovel. And I'm like, Jeff, that looks good to me, right? Like, looks good enough because we're hitting rock. Is this good? And he's like, nope. I'm like, Jeff, are you just being difficult right now? Or like, is this really not good enough? He goes, if we don't get this dug deep enough, first of all, it won't be stable enough long term. And everything going forward will be off. Off balance, off kilter, everything. And the biggest enemy to me in that moment was good enough. And you know what I had to do? Along with the other guys, it wasn't that I dug all 30 holes, trust me. Um, I had to grab a rock bar and we got back to work. And we got back to digging those rocks out and going deeper in those holes because we understood there was somebody that knew what was going to be effective for the long term and keep it balanced and keep it level. Some of you, the reason your life is off is because you've settled for good enough. And God is saying, man, you stopped a long time ago when I still have work that I'm wanting to do and change I'm wanting to bring in your life. And man, it's time for you to stop telling the potter what to build and allow the potter to form you and to make you and to create in you so that everything going forward in your life is on balance, is on level, and is going forward, it all functions the way God has created it to function. Because here's what I know. Some of you are wanting your marriage to change. You're wanting your family dynamics to change. You're wanting the relationship with your parents to change. You're wanting your addictions to change. You're wanting yourself to change. But change won't come to your marriage, to your relationships, to your finances, to your to yourself, unless there's a change that begins to happen in you. And some of you, you have settled for good enough when God is saying, man, keep working. Keep allowing the change to come into your life because I'm still wanting to do something in you. I'm still wanting to keep everything else balanced that is touching and affecting your life. Don't settle for good enough. Don't be okay with better than most, but keep working. Bible says this in Psalms 90 verse 12, teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. Help us to spend them as we should. Help us to spend our days the way we should. Help us to recognize the clock's running. The reason there's this huge clock up here is because the clock, the time, Scrooge understood time was running out. The, the ghost of Christmas future, he saw his name on the tombstone. He saw his date. He saw the dash, and there was yet to be an end date, but he understood this, his dash he was living out. And some of you, you're living your dash out, and time is running, and you don't get to go back and do it over again. You don't get to redo this day or the next day. Once it's gone, it's gone. And so this verse is so, so huge. Teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are and help us to spend them as we should. Are you spending your life? As you should. Are you, or did you just stop for good enough and better than most? 
Are you, are you spending this? Because there's this great moment where Bob Cratchit says this about Scrooge. He says, and Scrooge did all that he said and infinitely more. And when I heard that, I was like, dear God, let that be the story of our life. That when my days are spent, I don't say it, but other people say, man, he lived his life like he said he would. And he didn't just do what he said he would, but he did infinitely more. Can I tell you, some of you, there's infinitely more out there for you. Don't stop. Don't stop. The clock's ticking, man. You've got to get this right. Understand God wants to do infinitely more than your dream, than your plan. But you've got to let him keep changing you, and you can't cheat the change. Stop going to the apartment when he's got the palace for you. Move forward. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And God, my heart as a pastor is that this would be true. That for every single person in this place, other people would say they lived their life in the manner they said they were going to live it. And they did infinitely more. They had infinitely more of an impact on other people's lives than they ever realized. But Lord, the simple reality is this. Some of us aren't living our lives as we should. And today there's a change that needs to happen. There's a change that needs to occur in this place. And so God, I pray that this is the awakening moment for some of us. This is the moment where some of us can truly declare I'm not the man, I'm not the woman that I once was. But change happened. And I didn't settle for good enough and I didn't settle for better than most. But I went back and I allowed you to do the work so that my life would be balanced going forward. My life would function as you created and designed it to function. Because I allowed you to do the work and I didn't cheat the change. Lord, I pray that you would move and work in our lives with heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. If you're here and you say, Justin, I'm here. Maybe this is a Sunday you say, I, 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 I've never made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of my life. Or you say, where I'm at isn't where I should be in my relationship with him. And I need to recommit my life to him. And this is your moment and this is your opportunity to start living your days as you should. When I count to three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. We're going to just lead you in a prayer that will change your life. But if that's you, when I get to three, I just invite you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Is there anyone here today? You say, Justin, that's me. There's one, there's two. Is there anyone else? You say, Justin, that's me. You join these two hands that are lifted. Man, you say, Justin, this is, this is, my, this is my moment. This is my moment. Is there anyone else? You join these two hands that are lifted before we go any further in service today. You say, that's me. Is there anyone else? Anyone else? Yeah, I see your hand. Is there anyone else? You join these three hands. Is there anyone else? You join these three hands that are lifted. Man, sometimes I feel like we speed through these moments. But I truly believe God's speaking to some of your lives. And if you would have five seconds of crazy courage, God would do something crazy in your life. Is there anyone else? You just say, Justin, that's me. 
that's me, and I don't want this moment to pass before we go any further. You say, Justin, that's me. Is there anyone else? You just raise your hand. Yeah, there's one other hand. Is there anyone else? There's four hands. Is there anyone else? You say, Justin, that's me. If you raise your hand, if you please repeat this prayer after me and mean it from your heart. Jesus, I come before you today, and I confess that I have sinned, that I've messed up, but I ask for your forgiveness. I ask that your grace and your love would enter my life. And I turn from the life that I was living, and I repent of it. And I turn to you, and I grab hold of the life you have for me. I confess you, Jesus Christ, to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm going to live for you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions or in need of prayer or would like to join a connect group, feel free to email me at nicole at foundationschurch.tv. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.